Welcome to Marketing Thought Leadership, the podcast that offers insightful discussions on thought-provoking marketing topics. Here's the host of our show, marketing consultant, speaker, author, and educator, and the president of L2M Associates, Linda Popke. Hi, this is Linda Popke, and welcome to our latest episode of Marketing Thought Leadership. I'm here today with Robbie Kelman-Baxter, who's been on our show before. She's the founder of Peninsula Strategies, a consulting firm that helps companies excel in the membership economy, and she's a subject matter expert on membership models and subscription pricing. In fact, she's the subject matter expert in this area. Her first book was The Membership Economy, Find Your Super Users, Master the Forever Transaction, and Build Recurring Revenue. It's been an international bestseller, and her widely anticipated second book, The Forever Transaction, is about to be released uh, in this week in April. Her clients have included such companies as Microsoft, the Wall Street Journal, Electronic Arts, and many, many other membership economy organizations, and she's worked or consulted with clients in more than 20 industries. She's been quoted in all kinds of major media, including Harvard Business Review, the New York Times, and the Wall Street Journal. So welcome, Robbie. Oh, thanks for having me, Linda. It's always fun to talk to you. Cool. So membership economy, you came out with this little about, I guess, about five years ago, and it was all brand new, and people said, wow. So you've done that. Now you're talking about subscriptions and forever transactions. Why do people love subscriptions so much? Well, consumers love subscriptions when they solve a problem that is a problem on an ongoing basis, so they make the problem go away. I don't have to worry about it because I've taken care of it with this subscription. And companies love subscriptions for the recurring revenue. So tell me, this is something certainly we've had subscriptions for a while. It's been five years since your first um, your first book was published. What's changed since then? Because we've had subscriptions, we've had memberships, but it seems to me this has kind of exploded and taken off. So what's new and different since um, since you first wrote the book, the first book? So, so five years ago, when I when I wrote the book, and, and you, you know, you helped me quite a bit. I remember you helping me with uh, with feedback and edits and brainstorms around the book. So I, I appreciate that. And and back five years ago, I really felt like people didn't see what I was seeing. Um, that uh, that subscription pricing uh, was a powerful way of building an ongoing relationship. Uh, that it required a whole new uh, organizational way of thinking. Uh, new metrics, uh, new processes, and that it could be incredibly powerful for almost any organization. And when I tried to explain that to people, to companies, they would say, you know, huh, I don't know, I don't know if that would work for us, we're unique, or um, we're, you know, we're a newspaper, we already have a subscription, so I'm not sure there's anything here. It, they really didn't understand it, and I, and I had to write the book to give people the full framework so that they could kind of see all the pieces together and say, oh, okay, I get it now. I see how this could help me. And now, you know, flash forward five years later, I don't have to explain the power of a subscription to anybody. Every company, every nonprofit, every association, every solopreneur is trying to figure out how to build an organization that creates a direct, ongoing relationship with the customer. And the challenges now, and the reason I wrote the second book, are how to do that. Um, and depending on where a company is in its maturity, what are the 
uh, opportunities, what are the risks and pitfalls, and how can a company best uh, join the membership economy and build this direct long-term relationship with their customers? So tell me, so we, we've have done absolutely, I see the same thing. I've seen subscriptions just kind of mushroom all over the place. Is it possible that we're getting too many subscriptions? Because every time I turn around, somebody wants me to subscribe to something. So how do I, as a marketer, not be the subscription that gets kind of canceled, but the forever transaction? Yeah, it's 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 actually, a, a, you know, there's, there's good and bad news in the fact that, that subscriptions are everywhere. Um, the good news, you know, two parts, I think. One of them is consumers understand it. Um, you know, 15, it's hard to believe, it's been 15, almost 20 years since I've been working with Netflix, but one of the challenges early on was, you know, consumers weren't even sure that they wanted to give their credit card to um, subscription companies uh, and trust them to, you know, to take a, a recurring payment every month. Um, so that's good news. Today, you know, consumers understand it. They expect it. Uh, there's lots and lots of supporting technologies that make it really easy for even um, a small business owner to accept recurring uh, payments. Uh, everybody understands it. There's lots of support. That's that's the good news. Um, the bad news is, you know, we all have a bad case of subscriptionitis, subscription fatigue, <laughs> right? We're we're you know, and, and there's there's really there's three reasons for this. The first reason is that it's just a bad subscription product, that in other words, there's no product market fit. Um, so, you know, if you're a marketer, when, you're, when your company is moving to a subscription model or when your company is building it out for the first time, you want to make sure that you're very engaged in the product process to make sure that you're actually building something that not only are consumers or customers going to buy the first time, do that initial transaction, but that they're going to engage in such a way that they're not going to want to leave. So if you have a product, for example, that's optimized around one feature that you can use one time, people are going to subscribe and cancel. Mm. Um, and it doesn't matter what marketing does, it's, it's a poorly designed product. So that's kind of the first thing is make sure that there's a product market fit and that that fit extends beyond driving that initial transaction. The second thing that you want to do is keep in mind that we're all suffering from too many subscriptions and what I call, you know, subscription overwhelm or subscription guilt, which is when you say something like this, I love The New Yorker. It's the most amazing magazine. I love subscribing to it, but actually I have this huge stack of, <laughs> of issues on the side of my bed that I haven't gotten to, and they, they always seem to be wagging their finger at me and making me feel guilty and bad because it's such good content. In other words, it's not The New Yorker's fault. It's my fault, but I'm still going to cancel. So you want to help onboard a, a consumer and give them a way of thinking about your offering that they don't feel guilty about underusing it, and that they naturally start using the habits that allow them to get the full benefits from what they're paying for. So, for example, if you have a gym membership, you want to make sure that people maybe make a habit of coming in three times a week. Uh, you might want to help them find a workout buddy that will help motivate them to come in because if they stop coming in, no matter how good your classes are and how good your equipment is and how delicious your smoothies are, if they're not coming in, they're not getting value, and if they're not right. getting value, they're going to cancel. And then, and then the last thing that you can do as a marketer 
is to really stand up for not hiding the cancel button. Making it as easy for people to leave as it is for them to join gives people a greater sense of trust, which allows them both to, to relax and stay longer and also makes it easy to win them back if they have to leave for any reason. So, so those are some of the things I think that you can do to mitigate subscription fatigue as a marketer. So tell me something. Um, should we not be building any more subscription models because of this fatigue and this overwhelm and all the things that I could possibly subscribe to? Have we reached or are we getting close to reaching the threshold of, of just too many subscriptions? I, I, don't, I don't think – well, let, let me think about this. It, it's not that we shouldn't keep creating subscriptions. It's that there is going to be a culling, um, a winnowing down of subscriptions because there are a lot. Everybody rushed like a gold rush. Everybody rushed to do a subscription. Many of those subscriptions lack product market fit, um, don't have a way for the average member to figure out how to get value for it, even if the value is there or are not trustworthy. So I think those are going to go away. But the ideas that make subscriptions so popular on both sides are still here, and the fact that the technologies and the supporting infrastructure exist to make it easy for us to build subscription models means it's here to stay. It, it reminds me of when, um, when companies were first starting to have mobile apps. Mm -hmm. Everybody, first there were a few great mobile apps, then every single company wanted a mobile app, and a lot of the mobile apps were just there to say, hey, we have a mobile app. Right, they were useless, or they, they didn't do very much, yep. Right, they were useless, and they just took up space on your phone, and you're thinking, I'm never going to use this, I'm only going to use it once. And so those kinds went away, but at the same time, companies got more sophisticated about recognizing that a mobile app it's just a tool. It's just a way of packaging value, and I think subscriptions are the same. It's just a new way of packaging value that might better align to the needs of some of your members, some of your customers. So that makes sense. And, and I just want to talk from some of my – well, I see the subscriptions I have as fitting into two categories. One are the things like Amazon uh, or the uh, place I get my dog's medication – where you know the, the refrigerator filter shows up on my on my uh, doorstep from Amazon every six months, you know the um, the pills that my dog has to take shows up every two months. I don't have to think about it. So there's those types of subscriptions. The other type are things like, um, as you know, I'm the executive director of the Society for Advancement Consulting, and there we're actually it's not something that shows up. It's an experience. So you're part of this organization. You there's in person events, there's things that happen um, you know, over the web, there's services, etc. Um, so I see those as being two types of subscriptions. Do you see there being a difference between them? Are there other types that I'm not thinking about? Yeah, these are, this is a great question. So the, the first ones, the, the, the dog medication, uh, the refrigerator filters, those I think of as, as a replenishment model. Also, yes. it's a product subscription. So. Um, who's offering those subscriptions, retailers or, um, or, or manufacturers, uh, this is how they often start with a subscription. Um, the, the SAC membership, uh, which, of course, I am a member of and think is, is fantastic, is a bundle of benefits designed to help us achieve an objective. So I would argue that it's a more sophisticated form of a subscription because there's a bundle of benefits in there 
that all work together to help members achieve ongoing goals, which are I want to be as successful as I can as an independent consultant, and I also want to be part of uh, maintaining and deepening the integrity of the profession. So, um, you know, you can start with even one benefit, like I'm going to make sure that you never run out of fridge filters, one less thing to worry about, or I can layer in a whole bunch of additional benefits. Your, your fridge filter company could say, we're going to actually help you make sure that your kitchen is always current and working. Maybe mm. one of the benefits that comes with that is, uh, you know, a repairman who, who comes. Uh, maybe that, you know, something that comes with that is making sure that your refrigerator is never missing any of the, um, any of the items that you need for your, you know, usual uh, menu. Right? There's, there's lots of ways to optimize around emission. And, and I would have to say of the three examples you gave me, SAC has the most well-defined mission and the most sophisticated bundle of benefits. But, you know, you talked about, uh, you know, dog medications. I'm a mm -hmm. member of Fuzzy, um, which is a, um, a membership for, pet, for dogs, for pets, and it includes medications, or actually it's all the preventative stuff, all the preventative medications that I get mailed to me. But I also get a visit from a vet uh, twice a year, uh, an in-home visit. And I also have a hotline for telehealth for my dog. And that's really getting at making sure you maintain the health of your pet in an overall way as opposed to making sure you always have your medicine. And I think that's moving more toward the full kind of instance of a membership. That makes sense. That makes sense. So where do you see, and I know you've just written the book, and it's, it's just coming out now, but where do you see this going next? So we start out with the product subscriptions, we get to the experience and the uh, and ability to kind of optimize what I need to do and, and all this and, and preventative and, and taking more of a, a bigger picture view. Where are we going with subscriptions? Where, where do you think we'll be in a couple of years? Yeah, so um, Forever Transaction comes out spring of 2020, um, and the, the, it's divided into three parts. The first part is about how you get started with a membership model. Second part is about how to scale it and create the infrastructure and the culture and the metrics around it. And the third part is really around how do you stay relevant in a fast-changing world. And, you know, there's a, there's a few trends that, um, that I really want to highlight that, that I see coming kind of down the pike. First of all, if membership and subscription hasn't hit your industry yet, Trust me, it will. So in the past year, I've spoken at the International, um, uh, the International Car Wash Association, uh, the Association of Equipment Manufacturers. So this is, you know, threshers, crushers, hmm. cranes, um, you know, heavy equipment, putting um, a service layer around it or even providing the opportunity to access those machines without actually taking on the burden of ownership. Um, membership is so, – so every industry is one thing. Second thing is uh, membership is becoming a global phenomenon. Uh, so not only are American-based organizations reaching out with their memberships into the rest of the world, but the rest of the world is coming up with their own uh, memberships and uh, subscription offerings. Uh, not everyone knows that Spotify uh, is a Swedish company, for example. Oh, I did not know that, huh? Yeah, and 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 um, India, uh, India, Netflix, you know, has a mobile-only subscription in India, 
um, to respond to the, um, the different economic development there, uh, the different needs of the, of the subscribers there, and price considerations. Um, they're also creating uh, new content that is specific for specific regional markets. So those changes, I think, it, it, you know, the, the, I talked earlier, we talked earlier about the, the technology infrastructure that enables these trusting relationships and the subscription trusted payments on a subscription schedule. Well, that means that even the smallest of organizations can actually build a global footprint. Um, which, which can be great if you're the one doing the building, and it can be less great if you have new entrants um, coming after your your members. It, it creates a new kind of competition. But that's all, you know, kind of for the the savvy marketer to keep in mind as they look out on the horizon. So it sounds fascinating. I mean, we and I like like I said, we've now experienced this all of us. Um, and as we, you and I are talking, we have this coronavirus out there, and I think that subscriptions become more and more important because if I'm afraid of going out or I have to avoid going out, things are coming to me, right? So I can subscribe to this, I can subscribe to that, both things to keep me entertained like Netflix, but things to keep, you know, the, the pets coming, the food coming, you know, Uber Eats, all those types of things. Yeah, so it, it kind of <laughs> makes it an interesting situation, right? How do we survive potential quarantine? We have our memberships. Yeah. Right. But uh, do we hit a point where um, – you know, we we stress the the delivery mechanisms. I mean, certainly things that are digital is one thing, but all of these memberships that things are showing up are requiring um, logistics, whether it's Uber driving around and delivering DoorDash delivering food, or you know, the, the postal service delivering Amazon packages. Is the infrastructure keeping up with what needs to happen for the growth in subscriptions? Yeah, they're they're not. I mean, that's the short answer. It's I think. You know, we've all seen um, current systems kind of busting at the seams. Uh, you know, a rise in um, in uh, porch porch front thefts of you know people grabbing boxes off of people's front porches. Um, we're seeing you know the the, the FedEx and uh, UPS trucks overflowing and you know showing up later and later, especially around the holidays. Right. Uh, you know, there's a rise, you know, the Uber Eats is kind of playing off this idea of, like, let's just use the cars that are already on the road and the drivers that have excess capacity and get them to do delivery for us, not just delivering of people, but delivering of stuff through a subscription. Um, but it's also, I think it's also, as you point out, especially in a time right now, like, where we're, where we're dealing with the risk of quarantine, where it's never been easier to communicate remotely and to work remotely. Uh, you know, my, my sister and brother-in-law uh, live in Hong Kong where um, schools are all closed and the kids wow. are learning digitally. They're, they're having daily classes delivered over, you know, Zoom and some of the other um, Skype and some of the other digital platforms. Uh, people are working. I've had several conferences uh, that I was supposed to speak at have been canceled in the last month. Uh, you know, and, and those, some of those conferences are being reimagined as a virtual conference. Um, what technology allows you to do just with a subscription um, access is really is really amazing and, and definitely kind of stuff that, that used to only be, you know, on Harry Potter or the Jetsons. Uh, but now, <laughs> is actually, <laughs> now is actually reality. That's wild. That's wild. That's great. So we could go on and talk forever, but if you could just give us one thing, 
that as a marketer we should be thinking of? Because we all have subscriptions. We may be creating subscriptions. But what is kind of the one thing that we should be thinking about in order to kind of optimize and get that forever transaction as opposed to the subscription I want to cancel? Is there one piece of advice that you have for us? Yeah, I think the, the one thing is to make sure um, that, and I know other other guests have said this as well, that your that your member or your customer and their mission is at the center of everything you do um, in terms of the metrics that the team is being evaluated on, in terms of the processes that you use, especially those that go across, you know, kind of go across functional areas. Um, and um, the people that you hire, that they really have that member mindset. Uh, you know, some of the biggest kind of flaws in, in business models that I'm seeing that are holding companies back have to do with taking a siloed approach, a, a functional, a function-by-function function approach as opposed to an integrated approach. For example, specifically to marketers, in the membership economy, it's not just about getting that person to sign up for the initial transaction, it's about continuing to market the benefits to that person after the transaction to make sure that they use those features, which is going to drive retention. So mm -hmm. really thinking about and, and making sure that the product is optimized for that so that you can market features that make sense and then working with the support team and the engagement team to ensure that they're communicating the best the best messages and tracking it in the right way. So it's really an integrated approach um, and one that focuses on the long-term well-being of that customer at all times. That makes sense. So your book is just coming out now. If people want to find out more about it, where would they go? Uh, they can go to forevertransaction.com or they can come to my website, Robbie Kelman Baxter. Uh, dot com or anywhere books are sold. Um, I'm pretty pretty easy to find these days. <laughs> okay, well, thank you. This has been wonderful. Um, appreciate all the advice. I know, like I said, we've all got our subscriptions out there, and it would be wonderful if everyone read your book and they got optimized for us and things happen. So, uh, thanks very much for uh, for telling us what to do here. Oh, thanks so much for having me back, Linda. It's always really interesting to talk to you. Fantastic. Thank you very much for everybody listening. Until later, uh, thank you for listening to Marketing Thought Leadership. We hope you enjoyed this edition of Marketing Thought Leadership, brought to you by L2M Associates. If you'd like to find out how you can improve the return on your investment in marketing programs, processes, or people, contact us at www.l2massociates.com.